0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. Happy New Year.
1: I'm Paul rees Mandel. Hello, everybody. Have a happy New Year on the Gregorian calendar. My name is Eric Klein. And today, we're going to take a look
0: back at the decade that was. The years 2010 through 2019. Oh, boy. In radio. This is actually part part one of of our look back here.
1: Well, I mean... It's not. It's not that we didn't talk about it. Uh, too many caveats. We talked about it last uh, time. A little got bit. A little bit. It but well. it's
0: part of our year in review.
1: You yes. Know. Listen to every episode of Radio Survivor for a little taste of how we felt about the decade. Well, of course. It's impossible uh to <laughs> half talk of about it was a, half of it was a Radio Survivor decade, let's put it that way. Well,
0: and that's in part because Radio Survivor existed for the entirety of yeah. the decade, having been founded in twenty oh nine. So this decade in in a lot of ways is far more uh in in the front of our minds because when we when when we founded in twenty oh nine, at the end of that year, Jennifer Waits, our uh, co-founder, and Matthew Lissar, co-founder of uh, Radio Survivor, the three of us each wrote posts looking back at that previous decade. Oh, wow! From the in the two thousands through two thousand nine, which of course we'd been alive for and had been watching and observing, and uh, all three of us had been writing about radio decade, right? And and all three of us had been writing about. Uh, radio in that time in
1: our own platforms, uh, our own blogs. In case uh, you weren't listening uh, last time, uh, the second decade of, uh, or, well, the previous decade was the death of radio decade, and then following that is the, the the radio is not dead decade. Right, yeah. So now who knows what the third one is. Exactly. Sorry
0: to interrupt. Uh, That's it, uh, Matthew uh, yeah. uh reckoning there. And and so we, we did that, but uh, you know we, we were here to write about uh, all of this in, in this past decade, So, we're going to do uh, part one. Um, We started writing a series of blog posts at radiosurvivor.com about many of these topics. So, uh, to some extent, I'll be talking about some things I've I've published recently. Jennifer Waits, our resident college radio expert, but overall, you know, radio expert, and particularly she she looks at music, I think, uh, will be here next week to help us go through part two. But really, the thing I think that jumps out the most, since much of what we talk about here is about community media, community radio in particular, in all of its forms is that this last decade saw the largest ever expansion of community radio in particular in history. So not only was it the largest expansion in the United States, but we saw more community radio stations go online in this period than any 10 year period before and in fact, one year of this past decade saw more community radio stations go online just in that 12-month period than ever before. And that year
1: was 2015. I'm so excited about the fact that this story isn't as well known. It's the, the other story of the decade is how, how that story is a secret. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And And... What's in part,
0: I think, is the reason is that it's a local story. In a lot of ways, it's right. not a national story. Right. And and so there has been some national coverage.
1: Um, but what you mean is it's, it's a local story spread across exactly. every locality in the United States. Yeah,
0: because I think if you go back and look at local newspapers... Anywhere where there is a new low-power FM community radio station that's gone on the air in the last decade, you will find a story about it or multiple stories, in some cases, about the multiple stations that have gone on the air. But often they're disconnected. I mean, there's always going to be some
1: background about why it happened. One notable exception is, uh, was it this year that the New York Times wrote about low-power FM and spoke with... In, I think I believe it
0: was 2018.
1: Yeah, so am I skipping? Well, at least we're talking about the decade and not yes. 2019. So in this, at the end of the decade, uh Radio survivor was quoted in the New York uh, Times. The beginning article.
0: of 2018. The beginning of 2018. Uh, the uh, there was a, there was an article in the New York Times, and you know, in part, they, they, they took into the uh, they went on the ground to uh, Seattle. Uh, where a station was having its uh, barn-raising party, its its celebration of going on the air. We were there at that
1: particular barn-raising. Yeah, Radio Survivor, the podcast, did enjoy covering that story and meeting that radio station's, uh, uh, the people that were, were putting it together there in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle. Seattle's a fascinating city for low-power FM radio. It's extremely... Um, a lot of new stations went on the air. A yeah. lot of new stations went on the air there. Quite possibly in part to the hard work or at least the serendipitous presence of uh, Radio Survivor's friend, Sabrina Roach, who right. put in a lot of uh, effort to help those stations with their midwifery uh, getting out there. But also, you know, something in Seattle might have been uh, perfect fertile ground for such media expansion. Exactly. Community media. Exactly.
0: And, and I think that that... Because it was this local story, it defied being a national yeah. story, and and they are also. But it's like
1: I should. And put they're in, all small stations. We don't want right? to screw up and get our facts wrong. But the number is like. I have all the numbers. Oh, good for for the what in Seattle? I mean.
0: Oh, I don't know. I do not have. There's like numbers nearly
1: for, a dozen new stations, though. In
0: in the general Puget Sound area,
1: yeah. even more. Yeah, it's huge. Um, but the, oh, but you do have numbers for low power FM in the United States. Well, right. So How I exciting. Mean,
0: I said, twenty fifteen was the biggest year, right? And that's when five hundred and twenty four low power FM station licenses were issued by the end of the year. There were fourteen hundred and thirty-three low-power FMs on the air. Every single one of them a non-commercial. Every single station. one of them required by the FCC to be non-commercial. Could, to be locally owned. Could be
1: religious. Could be could be yeah. something else. But yeah, they're it could all be any
0: number of different programming formats, and we can talk about that. Right-wing non-commercial radio question mark. Probably it not. exists. Yeah. No, it does exist. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it, you know, it required to be locally owned, which yeah. is very important. Cannot be owned in groups. Cannot be owned in right. chains. Right? You can't own uh, thirty low power FM stations around the country. And the ownership, the the organization that owns it, must be a nonprofit. It needs to be registered in the state where it exists as a nonprofit corporation, and it must be local. In fact, the board of directors, wow. the, the officers of that of that corporation need to be local to the station. They cannot be somebody who even lives several counties and away.
1: That, that story of the decade is so, ah, it's, it's so exciting because there's so many things uh, that are sad and upsetting is about the media environment and about everything. And so to think that, the, that the biggest expansion of radio, what well, was community radio and was non-commercial grassroots locally owned and operated the the idea that radio grew so much in this space of all spaces um is really like one of the most hopeful stories of the decade and it's 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 nice that radio survivor gets to help share that news
0: yeah there were 864 low power fm stations on the air in december of 2009 and we remember that that low power fm was created in the year 2000 by the fcc Um, In part, it was created in reaction to the fact that lots of activists were taking matters into their own hands and creating low-powered community radio stations without a license in communities like Santa Cruz, California, San Francisco, Brattleboro, Vermont, um, and putting a lot of pressure onto the FCC because the
1: FCC FCC was not licensing uh, low-powered stations. Yeah, perfect storm of uh, radio becoming weirdly less interesting and more consolidated Uh, The technology being cheaper and easier to obtain, as well as the media activism of the 90s, uh, you know, really hitting its stride. People
0: really starting to understand what was happening to their media environment through ownership. And so the service was created in 2000 and then Congress stepped in and curtailed it. Uh, with the at the urging of the broadcast industry, including uh, national public, including radio, national public radio, perhaps most
1: shamefully, right? Uh,
0: the F- the Congress stepped in and changed the technical requirements for the stations to sort of slow it down. Well, to to limit where they could be built. It, yeah. it said that a, a hundred watt low power station had to obey all the same kind of spacing requirements on the dial as a thousand watt full power and station. again for
1: people who aren't gigantic radio nerds like radio survivor uh stalwarts like uh these are stations that um as you're driving through a medium-sized city you cannot hear them from one side of the town to the other depends
0: yeah it depends on a lot of factors but yeah. they cover they're very hyper local they cover very small territory
1: and so although uh you they know tend in, to in have, that- they tend to have at least in my experience here in portland they tend to have a bigger cultural presence than their actual uh terrestrial footprint well i think
0: we can talk about i think that's an important point we, we should get to yeah. i just do sort of want to kind of kind of put a point to this history i that's, keep derailing that's really you from your from your spreadsheet
1: of facts because yes. i'm so
0: excited about what they all mean well so you know the ultimate effect of what happened then in the in the 2000s is that um 924 stations were able to go on the air and be on the air by 2009 but they weren't on air in major cities Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Seattle, Angeles. Portland, Los Angeles—they uh, could not have low power stations. There wasn't space on the dial, so they went up mostly in in mid-sized and, and again, smaller that's, cities. That's and by design areas. because of the congressional action. That, that was that you congressional described. action. Then, at the beginning of this last decade, uh, a new act was passed in Congress that in 2012 basically restored the rules. Mm. The Local Community Radio Act, which went back to the original rules, which the FCC proposed in 2000, which would allow stations to be squeezed in a bit more on the dial. And in part, it was because part of that congressional action in the 2000s required that an independent third-party study be performed to see will low-power FM stations cause interference if they are able to be crammed in the dial. And the independent third-party study done by the RAND Corporation, which also does a lot of defense uh, department studies, found that no, they would not cause any interference. And so sort of with objective facts in hand. From a right-wing think tank of all places.
1: From a uh,
0: uh, a right-wing centrist Washington (laughs) think tank. Uh, because plenty of people who say they're liberals are also very pro-defense. I don't know if you want to say it right-wing. Sure, sure.
1: The Rand Corporation fun reading. If you can ever pick up any sort of used <laughs> books that are printed by the Rand Corporation, they're always fascinating. A a, a militarist organization, well, if you will. It depends. I mean, I, I'm thinking of one book I have that's about uh, you know, number theory, game strategy by sure. the Rand Corporation. With it's got nice pictures even. So. With that in
0: hand, Congress came back and authorized uh, a further expansion of low-power FM, which would allow it to be in cities like Chicago, like San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles. And uh, that happened in 2013, where the FCC opened up a new license window where people could apply for licenses. And so stations went on the air from 2014 uh, through to the present day. There are still stations... One by one, finally resolving issues right. in their licensing, where
1: uh, to go on the air. A radio survivor curiosity is, a ha- question, unanswered question. Uh, write in, listeners, if you know the answer. Did the what is the last low power FM radio station to go on the air in this conclusion of the second window and. Did well, it it's still going. Right, it's still happening. So it's possible that the that the it youngest low power FM station will be is, next week. Yeah, but we, <laughs> so, but we don't know at Radio Survivors. So yeah, at this to, very moment, we'd love to find out um, who's left on the list. But we're in the waning days of the of this explosion of low power FM community radio. But what that means is that
0: in the decade that just ended, thirteen hundred and twenty two low power FM stations have gone on. These are stations that are on the air. Currently,
1: not not to mention uh, how many of those are uh, 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 grateful radio survivor affiliate stations, stations that air these these air these here words on their airwaves. Indeed, A few dozen, and so that's a more than a doubling
0: of low power FM stations. Yeah, which I will argue at least a large minority of are true community radio stations. Right. And I will I will define by my large terms. minority forty ish percent something like yeah yeah, something like that, I, yeah. I I estimate a minimum of two to three hundred
1: and true community that's a good word I want to hear what you have to yeah, say yeah
0: I I would define it as such is that it's an op it's, it's a station which is you know locally owned which airs local programming primarily so programming made by local people primarily sure. so could be music could be talk yeah and and where. And, and where they provide an opportunity for, for community members to serve either as DJs, as staff, um, in other positions uh, to program. So it doesn't mean initially it has to be 24-7 local people. There are small communities where they, they simply cannot find enough people to program
1: 24-7. I visited one of those beautiful stations. Exactly. There was four volunteers. They ran the place. Right.
0: And and they would have been happy for three more volunteers yeah. probably to show up and, 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 and step I in the door. forget what the population was, but it was a small right. town. Yeah. But, but where beautiful. that's the, the whole intent. So even if they're using automation to fill much of their time, that within the ability of the community – uh, anyone who really was interested in broadcasting could have the opportunity. And I put that in, in, in contrast to, um, you know, there stations run by groups that are, mostly syndicated programming hmm. often fed by satellite often in the case of religious broadcasters are fed by internet there's a lot of sort of ethnic stations that are taking feeds
1: in this low power other FM languages. constellation
0: yeah and so they might have a little bit of local content here and there but principally they're there to bring that that information and that programming to their communities still and locally so,
1: run but they still but they locally
0: owned take the voices from no from commercials some, yeah so I, 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 I would say those don't really qualify as community stations
1: there's also
0: some stations i've encountered out there where they're mostly kind of music jukeboxes for lack of a better way of putting it one hobbyist got there well it needs to be time. more than one hobbyist by yeah. law okay can, you can't i can't own a low power fm you may not own a low power fm but some small group of hobbyists sure. sort of run it
1: i'm just thinking of the 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 single leader in the community sure. who gets it done and they they might bring in the this nonprofit from somewhere or stark one with yeah. a few
0: friends Yeah, exactly and so i've certainly heard stories yeah and so they're you know they're locally owned and maybe they program in some local music or something but principally if i you know there's not an opportunity for your average person to get a show yeah and and to show up on the air i think we can count those out too
1: and you know the thing is none of us but, re- yeah just a caveat those stations always lie in potential to become well, right? Like twenty years from now, those stations could all of a sudden flower and become a, a in leadership, a exactly. place where 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 a hundred volunteers create a new opportunity. Yeah. And it's they're just the opportunity is so much more present because the station is on the air functioning. And I'm not criticizing legally. the stations. Yeah. So I'm not
0: saying they shouldn't exist. Just I'm, an I'm just trying to kind of set them apart. And so you know, none of us really knows how many of these low-power FM stations became community
1: radio stations. There's no central authority. Right, but if anybody's trying to figure it out, it's Radio Survivor, as best we can yeah. with our limited uh, limited time and resources. We'd love to know the answer. But the FCC doesn't care. Yeah, so long the as government doesn't know. As long as
0: you're upholding the terms of the license and you're not commercial yeah. and you're locally owned. Uh, you know, the, the programming matters less. Um, there's a few cases in which you opted in to guarantee eight hours of local programming a week. That was in the competition to see who would If who there would was competition, the basically, yeah. yeah. If there was multiple uh, people competing for one uh, frequency. So they do sort of care about that. Okay. Otherwise, we but, know about cases
1: like that in San Francisco and Los Angeles.
0: Oh, yes. Amongst many. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, and those eight hours, of course, could be just one person producing it, you know, one hour a week. Sure. Or, one, or an hour and a half every day or something, Um. you know. So the FCC doesn't care. There is the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, which has done a lot of outreach in the last few years trying to uh, bring
1: those community broadcasters right. on board so they can help them. Another organization that cares about this information. But it, yeah. but
0: they're, but that's optional. You don't sure. have to be a member. Um, and a lot of, I think, people who are creating community stations often aren't even very much aware of how community radio is nationwide and aren't aware that there is even an association. And so, you know, there are stations out there that, that function this way without really understanding or having a sense for what the, the more national perspective is. So there's really a hard to count, but here's, here's where I come to my estimate. Uh Like I'll justify it because I do know that low power community radio stations or low power FMs have gone on the air in pretty much every market in the United States, right, yeah. and, and that's counted by Nielsen at the very least. There's like two hundred and some, so you have at least one station per. But we know that cities like S- Seattle, Los Angeles, even New York City. Which was a full dial to begin with. Yeah. Have, right. And often they're in sort of the the, the, the fringes of the outer boroughs. Sure. But uh, they all have more than one station, often three, four, five. And I can count. More than one low power
1: FM station that came on the air either
0: in the 2009 or two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Well, mostly in the last 10 years because yeah. these cities mostly didn't have low power FM then. And I can go back and I can count through. And I can find stations, at least one per market, mm-hmm. that is operating like a community radio station, whether yeah. it's Philly Cam in Philadelphia, um, you know, whether it's uh, the uh, Freeform Portland in Portland, Oregon, uh, the San Francisco uh, Free Press in, in San Francisco, California. So that's at least one per city that I can pretty reliably count. But in many cases... There's more than one. right? In many cases, there's multiple of these stations that are operating like a community radio station. And that doesn't even take into account all of the smaller markets, the smaller cities, uh, ones that aren't even really counted by Nielsen in the
1: same way that also have low power FM yeah, the, stations. The one I visited in Fossil, Oregon, out in the high desert country of eastern Oregon in a town that uh, as near as I could tell uh, – You know, grew up a hundred years ago around some kind of grain silo Mm -hmm. situation. You know, they have a low power FM and and it's operated like a community radio station. And what was so fun about it was it's the offices were in a high school, but at the moment they only had four. At the moment I visited and we talked about it on Radio Survivor, they only had four individual adult volunteers who were running the place. But I could, I just felt like at any moment, any given year, those high school students. sort of knock on that door and the culture of that station could really become a high school radio station, a community-run high school radio station in Fossil, Oregon. Uh, And I'm sure that this one example is uh, is at least in potential in many, many other of these low-power FM stations. Absolutely. So
0: right now, as we speak, low-power FMs make up 35% of all non-commercial stations in the United States.
1: Just number of stations, not number of uh, listeners or something.
0: Yeah, Yeah. just a number of stations. 35% of all non-commercial stations are low-power FMs. One-third. And it would be more except for the fact that actually it was a good decade for non-commercial stations.
1: Hmm.
0: 942 full-power non-commercial stations. So these are all stations pretty much to the left of 92 megahertz on your FM dial. Uh, 942 of them went on the air in, in the 2010s. And in fact, more than 1,000 went on the air the previous decade. So in in the decade, in in, in the century so far, we have seen uh, close to 1,100, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, close to 2,000, a little more than uh, 2,000 non-commercial full power stations go on the air, plus (laughs) another 2,186 low power FM stations. But Meaning, radio,
1: but rate anyway. We ha,
0: right. We have had more than four thousand non-commercial stations, low power or, or uh, full power,
1: go on the air in the two so thousands in the century so far. Just to beat a dead radio survivor horse. Sounds like every every time a, a new uh, non-commercial station came on the air somewhere in the United States, somewhere else, someone was writing an article about how radio uh, was a dead dinosaur, and do uh, do to be to be gone from the earth any minute now. Yeah. Still
0: lots of interest and obviously communities and organizations willing to invest in radio. And you mentioned earlier how you've, you found that a lot of the low power stations that you know and listen to, they seem to have more. You said more of a community presence often than they have a presence in a dial because they have yeah. really small signals often, you know, only a mile or two away from where their transmitter
1: is. They're sliding. a bigger deal is in Portland, for instance. I think it's true in other yeah, cities. They're a bigger deal. More people care about them that can't hear them than you would think.
0: Well, and, but they and, can hear them,
1: and they can on the internet, yeah. right? And I think that that's an important but an important point. They're like a local presence on the internet of right. all things. Yeah,
0: and I also think of stations like the Chicago Independent Radio Project, right. which started as an online community station dedicated to music, principally, that then got a low power FM license, and uh, you know the people in charge of of Chirp, as it's known, uh, were active in lobbying and in, in helping to get Congress to pass the law, which opened up community radio in a city like Chicago. And that internet presence is important, right? Because it means that I think it makes low power FM more powerful. Yeah. If we were talking it's about a repeater
1: station in the, that's infinite in the 2019. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: But that's even better because it doesn't only repeat your signal 10 miles away. It yeah. repeats your signal a hundred or 200 miles away. And, I think it's probably true that for a lot of low power FM stations, especially in bigger cities, uh, where things like buildings and topography often will get in the way as well, if somebody's just listening, like they may live in a building where they don't get good radio reception in general, um, where uh, the internet is like the is a primary listening mechanism. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the FM signal and the FM license is unimportant to me. Right, there is something gained when an internet station is able to become also an FM station with a license. And you'll notice, if you go and look around, how many newspaper articles are there about a new internet station that goes on the air? It happens, right? Somebody who is savvy with PR or happens to uh, have a bit more of a uh, connected, is more connected
1: in their community
0: yeah. You'll see this happen. I'm, I'm
1: smirking because I feel like it might have happened a lot more at the beginning of the decade happened. right? The, the end of the current then At decade. the end of the decade. But if the low-power FM station goes on the air, there tends to be more press. Which, uh, stay tuned in today's episode, we're going to be talking a lot more about uh, the growth and uh, possible degrowth of internet radio. Change, massive but, yeah, changes. Yeah, the massive, the big curve.
0: Yeah, the near-death. But, um, you know, I think that... Uh, Still, the license confers a right. level of permanency. A low-power
1: FM station being both online and on terrestrial radio is a, is a bigger deal than one that's only yeah, online. Yeah, it, it's more permanent. And the license itself is a community asset,
0: right? Yeah. It's something which uh, you want to hold on to because it's, it's rare. It's hard to
1: get. And if it goes away, you can't get it back. I would argue also that there's something about forcing the collective action— yeah. Around keeping the license, maintaining the license, having the nonprofit that surrounds it, that there's just something that because now more than one person have to, has to talk to another person, it just builds more community around it.
0: I think that's right. I think, it, you know, it was sort of baked into the design yeah. of Low Power FN to begin with. And, and from that, I think it's, it's really, successful. It's
1: really hard to keep people working together in general, but with, with the kind of paperwork and bureaucracy and deadlines that come with maintaining an FM license, uh, people are, are are forced into rooms with one another more often than with other special projects that might sort of uh, have less urgency. You know, I'm thinking of any other kind of artistic project that doesn't require maintaining an FM license, including internet radio.
0: And while I, I do believe that the... Explosion of low power FM and community radio in the United States is probably the largest share of its worldwide growth. We also saw lots of growth in community radio around the world. It grew in the UK, it grew in Australia. Uh, it began to grow in India, where hundreds of letters of intent, which are basically uh, like a construction permit, were handed out in the early part yeah. of this last. Well, and update. again,
1: because the technology is just so affordable now, it's the potential is always there. And and there are activists. Yeah, people want on- in,
0: in these in these countries, motivating governments right. to to allow them. And in many of these countries, uh, broadcasting has been much more consolidated. First, often in state hands. Uh, with at least a state-funded broadcaster like a BBC, yeah. or and then later with with a much smaller number of commercial operators. And, I,
1: and I'm thinking about what we learned this decade uh, about the radio in Brazil. It's a really interesting example of this, um, and not to mention the so that's where well, there are community radio yeah, stations. There's community radio stations. They're sort of like low power. They they're all they all exist at one frequency, and each community has one. We talked to. Uh, Alvaro Burns. Alvaro Burns, friends of the show, about it on, on the show. I don't know if that was this year or this decade. I forget now. That, it was this past ago. decade, but it was yeah. the, it was in the year 2018. <laughs> and we also spoke about uh, community radio stations that were essentially unlicensed pirates, but were had attempted to operate as licensed in, oh, in, stations. Oh, in Argentina. In Argentina. That was a great episode as well. And so we know that those are two examples in South America of... Low power FM. As well, we
0: learned about community radio stations in Honduras in this that's past right. year. So it, we've seen a lot of that growth happen in the last decade. And that's why I feel secure in saying not only was it the greatest expansion of community radio in the united states ever but it was the largest expansion worldwide yeah. of yeah we, community we radio. talked a
1: little bit about africa we would love to talk more to people that know something about community radio and the growth of unlicensed radio and licensed community radio throughout the entire continent of africa uh, too big a place to talk about once but and we we did talk about it in this decade with um uh, two different guests. Well, anyone we talked to
0: on the podcast had to be been the last dead gate. Yes, I know.
1: <laughs> but I'm, I'm giving, I'm trying to stick yes. with my theme, but also uh, brag about uh, the attempt to understand community radio around the globe here on Radio Survivor has well, always been the work.
0: And if you know more, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Mandel. With me here is Eric Klein. And we're discussing some of the most important radio trends of the last decade, the years 2010 (laughs) to 2019. (laughs) You know, We might slip into the decade beforehand, too. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we just got through highlighting what I think is potentially the most important, which was uh, the explosion in community radio, especially prompted by uh, enormous growth in low-power FM stations in the United States. And, and Eric, you you mentioned another trend, which is uh, the near-death of independent internet radio,
1: right? We we were hot on the trail of this story as Radio Survivor. Uh, I think in the second year of our podcast, that kind of almost became our number one like breaking news. In twenty sixteen, yeah. And I want to tie this to low power FM. And we're talking about
0: radio on the internet. Yeah, I want, but I want to tie it to low power FM because one of the things that makes low power FM great for communities is that it's inexpensive to operate. Yeah. Right. So on the one hand, it may require a lot of collaboration, community building. You might have to pay the rent organization. somewhere. Organization. It, ha-
1: it helps if you can find a free building. Right. But
0: it requires all of that. I've but seen it done. The actual costs of the equipment, of the of the transmitter, etc. Of the airtime. Well, there is no airtime. But I mean, oh yeah. But I just. But that's what the, the cost of. Yeah. Overall, the cost of getting going and maintaining it is relatively low. And low-power FMs pay a lot less to stream on the internet by law. For the music
1: licensing right. fees.
0: So there are fees which every internet radio station has to pay, which go to songwriters yeah. through organizations like BMI and ASCAP, and to the performers, which go through an organization in the United States called Sound Exchange. And this is different than terrestrial radio, which does not pay those sound exchange fees. Right. And these fees this time. <laughs> have <laughs> in his, gone and up and time. down over the course of the last two decades since they were put in place in the late 90s. But for much of that time, for about 16 years, if you were a small webcaster, as defined by basically how many listeners you had or how much revenue you had, you paid similarly small fees com- compared to a Spotify or a Pandora, right? Right or an iHeartRadio, on par roughly with what a low-power FM station pays, which and is very
1: little. What you're getting into right now is the, the past decade was there was a huge amount of jockeying for a position from lots of interests about what it would cost to play music online. Yeah. And uh, it was in a really exciting back and forth for the decade. Uh, and there's certainly a, a, a very important story to be told from the point of view of artists that I don't think we're going to get into, but at Radio Survivor, we were very excited about um, people who got to make their own radio online in a way that was not possible in, in the decades right. previous, and uh, being able to do that legally, pay for their songs, but also be able to, to afford to do it, and right. that was a that that all changed.
0: It all changed. So there were two acts in Congress that allowed this to happen, both called the uh, Small Webcaster Settlement Act. The last one expired in 2016 at the beginning of the year. And what this meant is the fees that you might pay as a small webcaster to play music, to play any sort of basically copyrighted music, which is most of what you're ever going to find, yeah, um, skyrocketed. So for instance, at that time, you might have to be on the hook for uh if you had say a hundred listeners sort of constantly sort of all the time there's about a hundred people tuned in at any given time which is a
1: lot for an online
0: radio. which is station.
1: a lot it's a lot even that was for- a successful small online yeah. radio station
0: but you would probably still qualify as a small webcaster especially if you weren't selling advertising you right. weren't selling subscriptions you're mostly doing it um you know, if not as an official nonprofit as an effective nonprofit. Or we're hobby. thinking about
1: some people that we may have uh, talked to in the past that were had a computer running a server in their garage that this that's what this online radio yeah. station amounted to. And uh, it was something they did for fun, maybe for a little bit of income, maybe. and it may
0: cost you on the order of a hundred dollars a month, but mostly for fun in twenty sixteen this probably would have gone up to about $22,000 a year. So we're going from about $1,200 a year to something on the order of $22,000. From, from that you added a zero there. So it went up. <laughs> it went up substantially. So this, of course, made things very difficult for people who, you know, were not, Registered nonprofits. Yeah, it was. The- weren't associated with a terrestrial radio station. weren't associated with a college or university because uh, online only college stations pay a different rate. But who are just sort of hey, let's get together and make a radio station because the internet just lets us do that. It's right. like the same well, spirit of hey, let's get
1: together and make a podcast. We were right? talking about. Yeah, we've been talking about low power FM and how cool it was for communities of people around the United States to have come together around a mutual love for spinning records, perhaps. And there were projects that existed in the decade that were the exact same thing, but without a license. You know, groups of people got together, you know, around their love for spinning records and, and community, and made community radio stations that were online-only stations, and it was viable because. Um, because the fees were affordable. And then in 2016, it it stopped. And that was another radio survivor story that I think, much like this gigantic, unprecedented growth of community radio that we just talked about in the first half of the show, the biggest expansion of community radio ever in the history of radio happened without- This massive contraction with very (laughs) little- The same thing. Notice
0: in especially the mainstream press. And at the same time, uh, there was this company called Live Three Sixty Five. Yeah, which, there were so many different which exists again
1: platforms for for creating radio on the
0: internet. But in, Live Three Sixty Five was arguably the biggest one for your average uh, small webcast.
1: Could have been could have been a Twitter. And could, one of the things that was Pandora.
0: Useful about Live Three Sixty Five is that early on. Uh, They had plans that you could do it for free, provided you didn't have too many listeners. But they even had plans for a good number of listeners where they basically took care of all your costs. So they're taking care of both the cost of hosting the actual broadcast itself, as well as taking care of paying your your royalty fees. And you just wrapped it up into one monthly fee. And that could be, you know, as little as 50 bucks a month
1: uh, going up. Uh, several hundred dollars. Yeah, not unlike what podcasters these days continue to sort of factor into their, exactly. their plans and budgeting. Exactly. You know.
0: And Live 365 had already been running into money problems in the previous years through a variety of factors. But this change in the law pretty much put a nail in the coffin and they went out of business in January of 2016. Yeah. So the dominant
1: platform that was available for hobby broadcasters or small, you know, small entrepreneurial radio internet broadcasters was now gone and there were at least
0: five thousand stations were at that moment hosted on live 365 that immediately had to go find another way to keep their streams on the uh, going or or to leave the internet and we really have no way of tracking or knowing how many went away
1: and how many listeners but they we know had anecdotally what they uh, we've people. heard from
0: many people who, who who folded it in uh you know and Anecdotally from people who said, yeah, the station I love, this this station I used to love went away. So we know it had a tremendous effect. And then a couple other companies were in the mix that kind of uh, were trying to help out the small webcasters. Uh, one company was called StreamLicensing.com, so they weren't going to provide you with your hosting, but they would help you uh, sort of mitigate these fees, and they did yeah. it by sort of aggregating. And we talked to the folks from Stream Licensing. Yeah, again, Radio Survivor listeners then.
1: who've been with us for half the decade that we've been creating this podcast radio show will will this this will sound familiar, nostalgically familiar that this was a really a uh, this was a moment that we uh, documented. And that company
0: went out of business in May of 2019. Another company called Radionomy, which is based in Europe, yeah, uh, offered uh, to host uh, your shows
1: for free, and they said they were covering your your yeah. uh, your Again, royalties the, as well. The two costs: one, yeah. getting getting computers connected to the internet to play this music for listeners, and two, paying for it to the people that created. And, and
0: Radionomy, it. for for folks who are old school internet, uh, is the current owner of Winamp. The Aww. the uh, the <laughs> audio player app and and the current owner still of Shoutcast, which was also again an early, uh, really one of the the first, I think, practical open ish yeah. internet radio broadcasting platform that didn't require that you owned expensive software from Real Networks yeah. or or Microsoft. I think
1: I w- I'm not putting my uh, technical foot in my mouth if I say that Winamp is what VLC player used to be. It used to be the, the free media player on everybody's desktop. And it really was almost like a, it was, I mean, it was an app that, that brought media into your computer life. And and at a
0: time when, when maybe that wasn't an easy thing to do, when we couldn't just take it for granted.
1: So they currently own
0: Winamp and a shoutcast platform. Radionomy, uh, you know, said that they would they would cover. You could broadcast free with them. The interesting thing about Radiotomy is that they required that you have a minimum listenership. Okay. Uh, in part because they were selling, they you agreed to carry some ads. They
1: had a business model trying to do an ad
0: supported business yes. model. Yes. Uh, but then in May of 2019, they said they were no longer going to support broadcasters based in the United States. Yeah. And then in November
1: of 2019, they shut down altogether. So again, we're talking about the the a life cycle of internet radio in the past decade. That was uh, a pretty grim. If you were trying to hop from service to service again, uh, by the end of 2019 and keep any sort of
0: audience with you, you found yourself uh, once again, homeless and there are still options out there for you to to stream, but uh, things got
1: complex. They've made it difficult to, to stay on the air. And you can imagine a world that we don't have now where, where some Somebody could have figured out the formula to actually build a, an audience that matters, and and build radio stations on the internet that we don't we don't have that well as much, especially community oriented. Like you know, people people collecting themselves together into a project for their mutual love of sharing music. It's important to point out
0: that if you have a true uh, IRS recognized nonprofit. Yeah, you do qualify for lower rates, but as anyone who has tried to get what is called 501c3 status, yeah, uh, you you do understand that it's not a simple process. <laughs> that in fact, that's a higher bar than just having a state nonprofit, which is required for a uh, for a low power FM license. So it, mostly, we're talking about people who you know, for all sorts of reasons, do not want to go through the rigmarole of yeah incorporating, getting the tax status. There's a lot of steps and it can be expensive if you have someone else do it for you or it's very time-consuming if you, if you do it yourself. Now, here at the beginning of this new decade, Live 365 has returned uh, under new ownership. Same name, huh. new ownership, new regime. We talked to the proprietor of the new Live 365 a couple of years ago and They are offering a similar sort of service. It is a tad bit more expensive because the fees have gone up in that time. But once again, it is possible to run your own, uh, small, uh, Webcast, small internet radio
1: operation, for less than $100 right. a month. Meanwhile, though, I think we shouldn't conclude this conversation about internet radio without mentioning something that I think came up this year that, much to my delight, there's a new internet radio station in town. A new a platform that may, in fact, be the dominant voice in streaming these kinds of weird little stations, and it's YouTube. Yes and no. Yeah. But you know, uh what's it? Hip hop lo fi hip hop beats to study to is the is the is the smooth jazz of this new generation. It's a big deal and it's on YouTube, which is such a Yes such an interesting it's sort of, default.
0: Right. And it's just something I thought about because the New York Times wrote about earlier yeah. in twenty nineteen. And then an investigate I've written about and we discussed here on the show. There's and,
1: a, I should mention that there's also a you know, the algorithm served me up a A DJ who mounts a camera on a tripod above his turntables and he will spin vinyl records with themes like, you know, 80s synth pop from Japan or disco from Turkey. And it's a 37-minute DJ set on YouTube that I will put on and that's, you know, it's radio on the internet now.
0: And those stations are this weird gray area because it's really
1: not what YouTube intends you to do. Right. It would – and But what YouTube? Their, their intention is audience, so and, and anything you build for them is uh, useful.
0: Folks who are familiar or watch a lot of YouTube, you you will hear from YouTubers who complain about the fact that if they play commercially yeah. released copyrighted music, they can get a so-called copyright strike, right? And And someone can demonetize right. their video and say, well, you can have this music in your video, but you will... Earn less or no
1: money. Yeah, or the money from any ads. or the monetization goes to the owner of the music. Correct. Yeah. No matter how much effort you put into everything else in the in the project, other than the music.
0: And so these stations that are uh, these kind of pirate YouTube stations are in some cases uh, basically just stay, stepping st- staying one step ahead right. of the YouTube algorithm, which. Picks up copyrighted music and then shuts them down. Or they're playing music which they've sourced sort of outside of the mainstream music industry. Well, lo
1: fi hip hop beats may or may not be licensed. Yeah, that's a fun
0: Things that people may It's a new gray area. And have, have in some cases, authorized these stations to play. But at the very least, because they were released on SoundCloud or some other sort of peer to peer ish kind of platform, um, are not in the database
1: that but, YouTube but has somebody, to run it against. Somebody could be playing Led Zeppelin and the Beatles on their streaming YouTube And then it's just a matter station. of time until YouTube shuts them
0: down. Yeah. And then they have to find a new channel. You know, it's a bit more of a cat and mouse. It's not the same as the so, FCC coming after
1: I you. brought that up just as a distraction from the main story of the decade which is that it's become a lot more difficult to put an internet radio station on the air and and luckily there are people and there's other services like the new live 365
0: who are who have worked hard to make this something uh that is still approachable and sustainable and yet it's ironic as i always point out that video which is much more expensive to uh, broadcast on the internet than audio is free because one of the largest companies in the world yeah chose to subsidize it
1: well and I would add and audio even in the form of podcasting yeah. kind of isn't because of the advertising potential both Google yeah. and Amazon with twitch are are willing to to put their muscle into this free service for now uh, not to mention Facebook would like to if they could figure it out well, that's that's internet radio for the decade, but we're not done yet.
0: We're not done yet. And this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. We're heard on well over two dozen community radio stations around North America and Ireland as well as internet stations and part 15 legal unlicensed AM stations. And we're heard online at radiosurvivor.com. You can subscribe to our podcast there or any podcast app, whether it's uh, Google's podcast app, Spotify, Apple, or Stitcher, and we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. With me is Eric Klein. I am Paul
1: Reismandel. Paul, you had two more topics you wanted to cover on today's show, and we have about 10 more minutes. We'll see if we can
0: do it. Uh, Which one was more exciting to you? Well, the more exciting one, really, is a service that uh, no one would have predicted 10 years ago. Yeah. Really.
1: This one is... Weird, because it's it feels much more like a like a Stranger Things throwback 80s type era document, you know, platform than a than a future 2020 platform. And we're
0: talking about what have come to be called Franken FM's TV on the radio TV stations that operate like radio stations because they can be heard. At the very far left end of the FM dial at, at about 87.7 FM.
1: So for a while, this was a like a, like a happy accident for these stations. But then uh, some uh, entities in different cities around the United States figured out that this was actually a business model, a way to get on the radio. That radio is more valuable than the video. Yeah. So they would put their TV stations up in order to get some market share with a radio audience. Or,
0: or change over their the yeah. programming. And so this is because of a little kind of almost loophole in the digital TV transition. Right. You may require back in June 2009, you either had to have a new digital TV or you a little You may remember that you would require
1: to convert your analog television to digital. Right.
0: I think most people have probably gone out and gotten new TVs in that time, but that, that happened. And all full power TV stations in the United States were required to go to digital transmission. Yeah, if you
1: have one of those analog antennas, you're not picking up anything anymore. But there's a class of TV stations called low-power television. Unless you live near a low-power television and station. And
0: they were permitted to stay analog. In part because low-power TV... Kind of like low power FM is intended to be uh, inexpensive to get into, but it doesn't have the same kind of restrictive rules around being non-profit, non-commercial, and locally oriented. But nevertheless, there were these stations that got to stay analog. In 2009, there were 77 stations analog broadcasting on channel six. So potentially receivable
1: on your FM dial. And some of those is on purpose. (laughs) Some of those were radio stations,
0: you know, and I don't know how many in 2009. So on TV, they were broadcasting a a static image, but on the radio, or some kind of moving image, they're required to broadcast some sort of image. Back in 2014 is when I first figured out the phenomenon. When I first heard my when I heard my first Franken FM, a station on the Chicago dial at the time at 87.7 FM playing smooth jazz of all things. To, to Chicago. That station has changed since then. I found 18. So I went to the FCC database. I looked up every single one of these stations to the best of my ability, whether they had a Facebook page or website or something, and found that 18 were definitely operating like a radio station. Today, there are only 41 analog channel 6 stations left, but 31 of them operate like TVs like radio stations. So there's been a doubling yeah <laughs> in, in, in roughly six years. and the sword is hanging over their heads. But the sword is hanging over their heads. That's because it's always been in the plan that these stations would be required to go digital. Just the can's been kicked down the road. Originally, yeah. September 1st, 2015 was the date. But in 2014, the FCC kicked the can down the road. And in part, it's because they and I don't want to get too far into this, but there's been what was called the incentive auction and repack, okay. which happened in the last six years, where full power TV stations were given the opportunity to basically uh, gang together and share space more so that they were more efficient and using less spectrum for the idea that those channels that were, they were emptying out could be used for cell phone and mobile Wi-Fi yeah. and under sorts of digital technology. What's the technology. deadline
1: now for Franken-FMs? The deadline now is July 13th of 2021. Why do Franken-FMs excite you at all? Why does this matter to Radio Survivor? Well, some of them are very interesting radio stations. Yeah, because it became a place for experimentation and a diversity, at least a kind of diversity.
0: Probably the, the most well-known one is called MeTV-FM in Chicago. It took over
1: the station which was smooth jazz playing the hits of yesteryear that you would not otherwise hear on the dial yeah it's an oldies format but what they
0: did was sort of uh greatly expand the library so that songs that maybe were number one in 1972 but for whatever reason never hit the oldies radio canon or classic rock canon are getting used again
1: yeah so so you we love you love franken fms and the story of the decade of the rise and fall or i guess not even the rise but uh so the the franken fms came and they're on their way out at the end maybe and it's a fun it's the, another great they're not necessarily on their way out. we'll see yeah there's a it reprieve. hangs
0: in the balance but i, I want to just mention this me tv fm yeah it itself is a tv station it now has radio affiliates Real radio affiliates here in Portland, Oregon. How funny. Burlington, Vermont, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Saginaw, Michigan, and it's on an HD2 channel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, right now, the FCC has opened up uh, a rulemaking and is asking for public comment. Should these Franken FNs be allowed to stay? Basically, should these digital. Uh. F, you know, soon-to-be digital TV stations be allowed to keep this analog signal because they've established a business there, should new stations be able to go on the air or should they just be forced to go digital like was in the plan all along? Right. So uh, the FCC now is accepting those comments. Will analog TV survive into the next decade? Stay tuned. That is uh, <laughs> the big question there. But uh, no one would have ever predicted that TV would become radio in the in the second decade of the 21st century.
1: Paul, we have five more minutes on today's episode of Radio Survivor and I think you wanted to talk about what it means that we had which articles were the biggest of the decade. Yeah, I just took a review and what that
0: means of the most popular articles we had on published radio on radiosurvivor.com. Because I think it's, it's interesting because they sort of fall outside of what
1: we normally would write about. Right. We have a core, we have a core readership that is uh, beautiful and niche and dedicated. And then every once in a while, the radio survivor writers will sort of hit some uh, clickbaity pay dirt by accident. Well, and, and, and now by design. Uh, so the yeah. two that bring in the most... We don't We don't even make money off of it, I should add. It's, it's not, interesting. It's, I we use know. the word click debate and pay dirt. It's more just exciting that all of a sudden a million people showed up where once there was only a few thousand. If only were a million. Well, yeah. uh, but uh, I write an annual post about how you can listen to
0: the Super Bowl on the radio. Mm-hmm. I don't care about football. I don't care about the Super Bowl. But I'm fascinated by the fact that, um, you know, Sports has always been a radio phenomenon. Yeah. And yet, uh it's not always clear how you can listen to the biggest sports phenomenon in the in, in the United States and, and arguably nearly the world. Um, you know, how you if you don't have access to a television, how you how you can get it. So right. I always write up a in, post. Obviously if you're in the car, right. And I and I wrote the first post simply because I was curious because I didn't know. And every year people come to it. So we continue to write it. The other one is Jennifer Waits Annual roundup of what stations are playing
1: Alice's Restaurant every Thanksgiving. So people outside of the Radio Survivor family show up to Radio Survivor to find out a little bit about Alice's Restaurant on the radio. About 140 times more (laughs) come every year to learn what this is. Which is so funny in the day and age where you can like click on a YouTube link and listen to Alice's Restaurant whenever you feel like it for free people still care about how can i listen to Dallas's restaurant right, on or how
0: to listen to the super bowl and i think what those two things kind of share in common is that it's this collective experience mm-hmm. of of sharing something in mass media yeah. and 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 you know, Matthew Lassar, our colleague on on both the podcast and the website, would argue that's that's part of 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 building community. Like that that is part of what it means to to be broadcast is yeah. the building this community of the air
1: or through this sort of shared experience. It's the philosophical definition of of radio for him was this uh, audience that you share the material with in real time. No matter how big a, a viral meme sensation feels. To the people that are experiencing it, everyone's clicking in their own minute and and radio is different because of the audience factor, the sharing of it.
0: Yeah, so you can find a rundown of the rest of that top 10 and a bit more of my analysis over at radiosurvivor.com. We'll make it easy for you. It'll be in our show notes. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number two hundred. 27.
1: It was part one of our look back at the decade of Radio
0: Survivor. Yeah, Jennifer Waits will join us next week to bring her portion of the list. I think we're going to dig more into video and YouTube. That was on her list. Mm-hmm. But certainly she'll also be talking about what the decade meant for college radio, which, you know, spoiler alert, remains alive, well, and strong here in the year 2020. Radio Survivor is a listener and Reader Supported Enterprise. To learn more about that, you can go to com slash support. And we're, you know, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. So <laughs> speaking of it, old media. <laughs> speaking of old, old media. Uh, so if you'd like to comment back to us, you don't want to do it by emails, feel free to comment there and interact with us. We share a lot of uh, interesting radio stories on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, um, I really suggest you follow us there.
1: Yeah, I I should I want to add in the last minute that just this concept of radio survivor and college radio um I think that everybody at radio survivor sort of has like really grown into the notion, the feeling comfortable that that college radio has always been um sort of the it's just one of, it's it either it's always been a part of radio. You now like uh, Jennifer talked of, uh, about a month ago about how someone wrote an article this week that uh, that college radio was born in 1980, right after REM hit the, and it's like sort of an offhanded remark. Yeah. yes. and no, college radio in many ways is the beginning of the history of radio in it the United 100 States. It is a hundred years old. And and as radio has been defined as a cultural institution, uh, college radio has always been there alongside it, sort of as the uh, well, as like the the adolescent version of what radio would always become, it's always been a part of radio culture and then it gets forgotten quickly or written off. It or is the not, innovator, is not, often the not innovator to. So of radio. So Radio Survivor has Jennifer Waits who has maintained a focus on college radio for their whole career as a writer and an enthusiast of radio and that is um, that has re- Invigorated the concept of college radio for all of us. And so that's that's how I wanted to spend the last moment of today's episode is just reminding ourselves that uh, that's why we talk about college radio on Radio Survivor.
0: So please tune back in next week or subscribe to our podcast at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We thank you so much for spending another hour with us. Yeah, see you next week, everybody.